this morning, several of us are going to be up here about the same thing. Because God has one thing in mind today, I believe. And I believe he already began doing that thing in worship. Before last week, we had the baptisms, and John preached a, an amazing sermon. But the Sundays before that, the two previous Sundays, Alan brought an amazing series called Point of Origin. Point of Origin. And it was about our thought life. And, you know, the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So... Our thoughts are very important because <laughs> they control how the rest of us is. So is he. And we might look one way on the outside, but what we're thinking on the inside governs us in a whole other way that other people around us may not even be aware of. And sometimes it keeps us from the place God wants us to be. And so Alan did this series. In part one, he called Point of Origin the Accuser. The Accuser. Because we have an enemy of our soul. And part two point of origin, the advocate, because we have an advocate sitting at the right hand of the Father on our behalf who paid the price for us. But at the end of Alan's sermon, his second sermon, as he closed us in prayer and we asked God to continue exposing anything in our heart that he wanted to deal with, a strong anointing came. I was on the front row and I felt the presence of God so strong and it felt to me like I feel when God wants to deliver people to set them free, to get something off them. I, I had something on and I, I pulled it. I felt like, ooh, this is constricting. God doesn't want us constricted or bound in any way. And God wanted to bring deliverance in this area. And you know what? If you prayed that prayer with Alan, you invited him to. You said, God, continue to expose. God, do in me whatever you want to do. And what's interesting is I was feeling that on the front row and I wasn't quite sure what to do with it. But then immediately, as Alan said, amen, and we dismissed, Kirk and Jen and I conferred, and, and they felt the exact same way. And they said, God wanted to do something. God wants to do more. And we said, Alan, can you do part three? And he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. I had two parts. I had two parts. But you know what? We've all prayed, and there's a part three. There's a part three today. And so God is not finished, and we're doing what we do here. Last Sunday during worship, uh, Alan was singing a song, uh, uh, I Can't Hold Back My Praise, and he moved on, and he says, wait a minute, we're going back to that other song. Because God was there, and he wasn't finished. And we're doing that. We're going back to the subject that God was on a few weeks ago, because God is not finished. And so we had point of origin, the accuser. We had point of origin, the advocate, but my Bible says in Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me, anointed to set at liberty those who are oppressed, oppressed. And some of us are oppressed in our thought life. And so this is part three, point of origin, the anointing, the anointing. And so Kirk is going to come up and share some things. We're going to have some other people share. So Kirk, I'm going to turn the mic over to you right now. The other night I had a, a dad experience that God spoke to me through one of my daughters had something on her heart, and we were watching a TV show as a family, and God just, I, I just felt this, just stop, put, put this first. And as I followed what I felt God showed me to do, we ended up having a really good heartfelt conversation, and God was speaking to me, this is what seek first the kingdom of God looks like. It means put everything else on hold, stop. When, when God says something, the first recorded miracle was what? When Jesus turned the water into wine, how did that happen? Mary said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And that's what we do in this house. And that's why it's like today's message, I want you to see it and perceive it. It's an exclamation mark on what God does and what we're called to do and what he started to do and what we felt like he was calling us to enter into. 
A number of years ago, a friend of mine's grandparent passed away, and we went up to a small town in Texas, Marshall, Texas. And as we were leaving in the funeral procession going to the cemetery, I saw something that I'd never experienced before. People were stopping along the road and getting out of their cars and just standing. I'm sure they had meetings to attend and places that they need to be, but they were stopping and they were standing as a sign of honor and respect for that person's life. And I've always been fascinated by funerals because everybody will attend a funeral at some point in your life if you haven't attended one. Hopefully it's not your own. Everybody, when you, sit in a, when you go to a funeral, you're faced with perspective. You're forced to sit in this, what I call the seat of perspective, that everything that we're dealing with on a regular basis, on a daily basis, is temporary. There are some things that matter much more than others. And whether you recognize it now or recognize it later, at some point you're going to recognize what is really most important. And the opportunity that we have right now is to, to become aware of that and say yes to that in the moment before you're forced to see it. And that's what I, God was started speaking to me about standing. You can stand up for something. You can stand against something. You can stand in for someone. You can say, I'm not going to stand for that. And God was speaking to me the, about the word standing. And, and one of the things about standing from a legal perspective in the, in the federal court, standing sometimes referred to as standing to sue is the name of the federal law doctrine that focuses on whether a prospective plaintiff can show some personal interest has been invaded by a defendant. It's not enough that a person is merely interested as a member of the general public. What was John talking about? We can, being members versus disciples. As a member of the general public in the resolution of the dispute. In order to have standing, the person must have a personal stake in the outcome of the controversy. And when Alan got through speaking, I had this feeling like I need to stand. Like I almost wanted to go up and grab the microphone and say, I'm, gonna, I'm just standing to, to put emphasis and say, I, as a member of this church, as a man, as a father, I, I am standing with the word that was given. And, I, and the first time that that happened to me was when John preached a number of months ago, maybe it was a year or two ago. He got done preaching, and I, just, I felt compelled to take the microphone and to stand and just say, I just feel like God wants me to stand up here and emphasize that we need to hear this word today. We need to respond, and we need to say yes to it. And, and that's the feeling that I felt when, when, when Alan got done preaching two weeks ago. I had this feeling like there is something that we need to seriously pause, put first, and take account of and take seriously, and not wait till that point in life where you're forced to see what really matters, but to put first things first. And I specifically felt that he was saying that there are things in some of our lives, this is, this is not a condemnation thing. Remember, Alan said, the enemy comes to condemn, and God the whole, through the Holy Spirit, convicts. One points out what you're not, and one points out what you are. And that you can have grace and freedom when you say yes to the one, and you can have guilt and condemnation and fear when you say yes to the other. But he, he used an example of a broken record. And as, as I thought about it, I was listening to it, I was like, oh my gosh, I bet you most people under the age of 30 or 35 don't know what a broken record is. And as I thought about it, he showed me that there's a play on words hidden in that. And if you, if you think about it, we've all had stretches of our life where we've done good or we've been successful. Or we felt like we've had a good track record. But then we stumble and our record becomes broken. Well, in the old days, people would listen to music and entertainment on a vinyl disc. It looked like a Frisbee. It was a black thing that would spin around, black plastic. 
And when it would become broken, it would get stuck. And it would say the same thing over and over again and over and over again and over and over again. And so the enemy does that in our lives. He says, you stink, you stink, you stink, you're lame, you're lame, you're weak, you're weak, you're a failure, you're a failure. And that broken record becomes a broken record. He takes your broken record when you stumbled and he turns it into a broken record and he won't take it off. He's not going to take it off the record player. You have to go take the record player off. We, and, and God gives us divine opportunities in certain times where he says, hey, this is what I'm doing right now. There's a broken record playing. We're not going to stand for it anymore. I don't care that everybody thinks it's the end of the service. I don't care that normal conventions say we have to act this way in public. The thing about God's kingdom is it is disruptive. Bill Johnson said something one time in a service that ministered to me so much. He said the kingdom of God is often inconvenient. If you want to experience God's kingdom, get out of your seat and walk to the aisle. Not because there's something magic about the aisle, but because the kingdom of God is inconvenient. And we've got to be willing to step out of whatever we think is normal. That's why I got excited about the new tithing giving page. I'm tired of tradition and convention for the sake of tradition and convention. I'm not saying that that's what we're doing, but I like change. I like it when it's God's change. I want us to have a culture. This is my heart's desire is for people to renew their minds and to get a perspective on what really, 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 really matters because one day, 99% of the things that we think on a matter daily basis aren't going to be, you're not even going to think about them. Life is short no matter how long you live. And when you get to your last days, you're not going to think about what you accomplished or what you failed at or how much money you made. You're going to think about the people that you touched and that you loved and the people that loved you. That's all you're taking with you. And he showed me a couple of weeks ago, and I felt this was one of those things that I felt led to stand up and say, maybe I should share this testimony. And I'm, every time I come into a service, I've learned this in this house. What are you saying, God? What are you doing? What do you want me to say? Do I have a word for somebody? Are you, is there something? <clears throat> I want to encourage you, forget about tradition. Forget about being comfortable. Forget about doing things the way they've always been done. Be willing and looking for God to do something different. He reminded me of the first charismatic service that I ever went to. And I saw a man, my roommate invited me. And I formed a judgment. And he was tapping me on the shoulder and he said, remember that service you went to? Do you realize, and this was, this was we had a couple of sermon Sundays with really wild worship in here. And he, showed, he, he pointed out, do you realize the way that you look right now looks very similar to the way that they looked back then? And there might be people in this room right now that think you look and act like you thought those people looked and acted. And I felt like, I was like, oh my gosh, God, forgive me. I don't know whether or not they were in a right place or a wrong place. But I saw this man doing this little jig dance thing, this charismatic jig thing. And he looked so free and so much fun, but I put so much judgment on him. Like I was never able, anytime I would even start to move like that, I would start to feel stupid. Wrong ideas and judgments and things that we've agreed to in the past, things that we've come into agreement with, accusing someone else. This was part of Alan's message is get rid of accusing. Get rid of false witnesses against others, against God, against yourself. Any false accusation has a boomerang, double whammy effect on you. It can lock you up. You can think that you've protected yourself, locked someone out, or locked something out from your life. And what you've done is you've agreed with the enemy's sneak attack. And then that sneak attack becomes flesh and a revelation and is put on display in your entire life. And you can go to your grave being bound up with something that you had a thought about 50 years ago. 
And that's what I felt like God was saying at the end of that sermon was like, okay, there's, I felt specifically, the one thing that I felt is that there's things, there's people in this room that have had things that they've agreed with and thought were just natural. That's just the way that I am. That's my genetics. That's where I was born. It's the way I was raised. I don't care what it is. Don't agree with anything unless it agrees with scripture and you've submitted it to God. All of us have things that God will continue to change and morph and work in our lives as we go. But I, I felt God putting an exclamation mark. Be willing to stop. Stop the service. Be, stop your plans. Maybe you're going to have lunch with somebody that you really love and you care about. But if Jesus Christ, the one who's alive, is here and he's doing something, are you willing to lay that down? If, if God told you, if God, if you could see physically, not even like an impression, but if God spoke to you from an open heaven vision and said, stop your car, be late to work or don't go, I need you to go do this, would you be willing to do it? We might if we saw an open vision like that, but this, this, that's what this is like right now. When we're together as the body of Christ, God is speaking and he wants to conduct heavenly business. And that's what I felt at the end of Alan's sermon. So... Because God is so good to us, maybe I'm just meaning to me because when I was sitting there, I believe he, he allowed me to experience them so I could have an example of our thoughts. Now, I had a thought while I was sitting there, and it's not a bad thought, but when Kirk began to, to be all passionate, I thought, oh no, when I get up there, I've got to say, well, I'm not going to be as passionate as Kirk. And, I, and the, the moment I heard the thought, I go, why did I think that? So I traced the thought, why would I need to say that? And I thought, it's because I don't want to look like I'm not passionate enough. And I thought, no, devil, I don't have to compare myself to anyone. See, so I just believe God allowed me to experience that so I would be able to explain or give just an example of what a thought looks like. Now, is it a bad thought? Is it a terrible thought? No, but the thought doesn't line up with what God says. See, I'm not to compare myself with one another. So in my thought of, oh, I need to say, oh, I'm not going to be as passionate as Kirk, or, you know, I can't follow that. See, we do those things because in the end, it's about the enemy saying you're not good enough. You're not going to be passionate enough. You're not going to deliver it as well as Kirk did. So there is just thoughts that are roaming all the time through our heads that we never take the moment to say, where did that thought come from? And it's as simple as I, I just felt the chain. I was like, wait, where did that thought come from? And why do I feel like I need to say anything? And it was because of instantly it was like, because you think you can't follow that up or you're not going to be as passionate and they're not going to get it. See, it's, it's that easy you just have to make the choice see it's all in our choices so when I finished the two-part sermon uh, that Sunday you know everyone was coming up to me and they were like oh we think there's a part three I was like no there's no part three I was like no look I left it all on the field that day I was like I don't have any more don't ask me to do more I got stuff coming up I lead worship enough is enough okay well I mean I'm just being honest there's times when you just don't feel it and that's okay. But I went home that night because they felt like there was more, and I just simply said, Lord, I don't want to not give you opportunity if you have more to say. Even though I feel like I've said it all, I want to be obedient. And Lord, if you have anything more to say to me, say it. Go to sleep. Probably around 4 o'clock in the morning, I wake up, and I immediately perceive the words, see them in the Spirit, in my mind's eye, the inhabitants of the land. So oftentimes God will speak to me in the middle of the night, but my, the problem is, 
is I don't really react quickly and write it down. So I'm usually like half asleep, and so I said, Lord, if you want me to say that, you're going to have to remember to remind me in the morning because I'm probably not going to remember. Because oftentimes is the case, but I'm still too stubborn to write it down because I don't want to wake myself up. So I just said, Lord, if you want me to say more than that, you're going to have to remind me in the morning. So I wake up. The first thing I think is inhabitants of the land. Now, I didn't know what that really meant. I have an idea of what it meant. But so I looked it up, and I, of course, you know, Google. And so Numbers 33:51 says this. I want to read just a couple passages of Scripture here. Numbers 33, 51, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from you and destroy all their idolatrous sculptures, destroy all their cost, cast metal images and eliminate all their high places. Now, what do I mean? Inhabitants of the land. Our land, in this case, is our mind. And there are thoughts that inhabited or lived or dwell in our minds for so long that we just feel like they're a part of who we are. But God says you've got to remove those things that are not of him. See, not only did the Lord tell them you've got to, you've got to drive them out, but he also instructed them not just stop there. You've got to destroy the adulterous sculptures. You have to destroy the cast metal images, and you have to eliminate all their high places. Now, sculptures or carved stones, the word actually means in Hebrew, it also has the definition of imagination. Imagination. Images. What is an image? Well, we have images in our minds. High places. Anything that exalted itself above God had to be cast down. That reminds me of the scripture that I went over, 2 Corinthians 10.5. We are destroying arguments and all arrogance raised against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. But I want you to notice something. It says, where does the responsibility lie on the removal? You. The word says, you must drive out all the inhabitants of the land. See, we want God to do everything. He says, I've done it for you, but I need you to fight on your behalf too. You can't just leave it all up to God. He is saying, if you will partner with me, I will bring you to a place of freedom. See, he had already gone before the Israelites in the promised land. They just had to remove the enemy that was there. Because there's thoughts that we have that he is saying, you've got to move out. Not only must we forcefully evict these inhabitants, the thoughts, but we must tear down everything those thoughts have built. See, there's things in our lives, there's a lie that we agree to that we're not good enough. And then, and then those just don't show up in one way. It shows up in many ways. It shows up in, in a weakness or a fear or there's an intimidation of man. Like I said, when you walk into a room, if you're insecure, all of a sudden your, your, your physical posture begins to change. You begin to not look at the other person. See, there's thoughts that we have that we have to bring them down, but we also have to bring down every structure that has fortified that thought. Every lie must be cast down. What really stuck out to me is when it said, when you cross, you Cross. You next to cross. It's always you and the cross. See, they're always side by side. 
you choose to cross. See, the cross was already there, but it's time that we apply the cross. We cross to the other side. It's you and the cross. You have to apply the cross in order for the cross to be active in your life. He has done the work. He has died on the cross, raised from the dead. But there are things where you must apply the cross in your life in order to see the fulfillment of what he has given to you. It's all been done. It's been finished. But you have to apply the cross in every area. Are you with me? It's you and the cross. Side by side, you and the cross. Every dis- What's the Bible say? To daily take up your cross. See, it's you and the cross. So there's a decision we must make. See, there are two things that are required to accomplish driving out. While you are dispossessing the thought, you must possess the thought. What do I mean by that? While I'm shoving out the lie, I must take in the truth. See, while I'm taking in the truth, I push out the lie. See, the only way you can get rid of the, the lie is to embrace truth. So when there's, you have to dispossess in order to possess. Are you hearing me? You have to dispossess in order to possess. See, and here was the warning if they didn't do that. Numbers 33:55. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from you... Now, this is a warning. This is not what God wanted. It's not what he willed for them. He was saying, what I've commanded you, if you don't follow through, this is what Then it will come about that those things that you let remain of them will be like thorns in your eyes and like pricks in your sides, and they will trouble you in the land which you live. And those whom you let remain. What's that tell me? It's all in my choices. It's all in my choices. How free I am is what I determine to choose that he has for me. I can be completely free. I can be free in one area or in another area, but totally bound in another area. If we don't apply the cross to every area of our life. See, it's all in our choices. It's up to us what we allow and what we don't allow. See, you have the power to give access to a thought or to deny a thought. See, it's the perfect parallel when we don't remove the intrusive or the ungodly thoughts. Ungodly. That's so mean. No, ungodly just means anything that's not of him is ungodly. There are ungodly thoughts roaming about, and we let them, we give them permission to to seed into our lives and to bear fruit, and they're ungodly, and it's time we just deal with the ungodly thoughts. Let them remain of them. They will be like thorns in your eyes. When the, when the Bible says like thorns, really that word comes from a hedge. It means to fence in. What it really is trying to portray there is a barbed fence or a hedge. Now, if you think about that, when you try to look through a hedge, what does it do? What It changes your perception. You can't see clearly. Things are obstructing your view, and that's exactly what he was saying here. If you let these things remain, they will be like thorn in your eyes. That means you won't see as clearly as you should have what God was wanting them to see clearly, but it would cause us to not see things as clearly and as accurately as we should. See, these structures in these high places, if they were left, they would lead to what? Compromise. See, you would just get along with, you would settle with, those opposing views that are already there. You just embrace them as your own. When that word there, trouble, it really, there, there's a, a meaning that it means adversary. See, those thoughts that we allow become adversarial to our growth, to the life that God has called us to. See, every thought that's not of God is adversarial to the nature and the promises of God. 
See, what's affected if I leave those thoughts in me that are not of him is what I see, what I perceive, and ultimately what I believe will be changed. See, the devil wants to restrict you from your full potential now in your already promised land. See, we're saved, yes, but when we allow thoughts to go unchecked, we are restricting the fullness that God has called us to live in. See, there is full freedom available, but we must remove the inhabitants from the land. Amen? For those of you who don't know me, my name is Alicia, and I'm the administrator here for Epicenter Church. That's my husband, Dan, in the sound booth. (laughs) Uh, We're actually going to be married seven years this December, and about two weeks after we got married was the first Sunday we both started attending Epicenter Church. Um, In 2017, we both graduated from a Bible college called Christ for the Nations, and we both work for the church now. So that's just a little bit about me. Today, I'm going to talk about a situation that happened in my life. Two weeks ago, Alan referenced John 16, 13, the Bible verse about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit will comfort you, guide you, and lead you into all truth. If you ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom, he will give you wisdom. If you ask the Holy Spirit for the right perspective, he will give you the right perspective. But most of the time, we don't take advantage of the truth that he tries to reveal in our lives. And this was something that I wish I learned at a young age. I grew up in a Baptist church, so I gave my life to Jesus when I was five years old. I was told to read my Bible and pray every day because it was the good Christian thing to do. Basically, I thought I knew God the majority of my life. I knew that heaven was the good place, hell was the bad place, and of course, I didn't want to go to hell. So I would do my devotions, pray before I went to bed, go to Sunday church, and that's pretty much what my Christian walk looked like at a young age. Fast forward to my early teenage years, and I still attended church. I started going to youth group, I prayed my prayers, and I served anywhere I could in the church to make it feel like I was a good Christian. My life started to get more hectic in my later teenage years. I got my first job at 16 years old, so I started working a lot. Right after school, I would head straight to my job and work until about 9.30 to 10 p.m. I also wanted to get good grades in school, so I studied a lot. I ended up graduating number 23 out of 406 students. So my schedule was basically work, homework, school, Sunday church, youth group, and on top of all of that, I wanted to maintain a social life somehow. I started to become worn out and exhausted because of my busy schedule. And because I was so tired, there was this irritability and tension that I had with my parents, my siblings, and my friends. I made a lot of friends in high school, but some of them began to betray me and act really nasty to me. They would act one way in front of me, but then say something completely different behind my back to another friend. Now that made me feel like I was stabbed in the back. And I think that's what hurt me the most because that made me feel like I was completely alone and nobody was on my side. 
It hurt my heart to think that these people that I trusted really didn't love me. I began to feel overwhelmed with my life. It felt like a never-ending cycle of rejection, loneliness, tiredness, and stress. I thought I had nobody to relate to. And I really didn't have anybody to talk to. And I, I didn't know that I could talk to God about my feelings because I just didn't think I could talk to him like that. Looking back and realizing it now, though, I saw the way the enemy tried to make me feel isolated as much as he could. Like I was completely alone and there was no way out. And he will do anything to make you believe that lie. To make you feel like you're completely alone and nobody will listen to you. But I fell for this lie. And I believed this lie that I was completely alone. Because I really did feel alone, despite me giving my life to Jesus. I started dwelling on those thoughts. And they would replay in my head day after day after day. Eventually, all I thought about were negative thoughts. I started having really bad panic attacks where you feel like the walls are closing in and you can't breathe. It literally felt like I was grasping for air, but I could never get the heaviness off my chest. That feeling would go on for days, and it made me isolate myself even more. I started having really bad depression because I was scared that the panic attacks would never go away. So I numbed myself. I withdrew from my friends, my family, and the church. When I would wake up in the mornings, I would ask God, why? Why are you doing this to me? What did I do to deserve this? Then one day, the thought came to my head. You can't live like this forever, so why don't you just kill yourself to make the pain leave? I meditated, and I sat on that thought for a while. Then more suicidal thoughts would come, like, no one would care if you killed yourself, so you might as well just do it. Those suicidal thoughts would repeat in my head over and over and over until one day I couldn't take the pain, the depression, and the suicidal thoughts anymore. I made up my mind. That day, after school, I would go home and kill myself. And it would be easy because a couple of kids at my school committed suicide earlier that year. And all I had to do was Google the simplest ways to kill myself on the internet just like they did. That was my decision and nobody could change my mind. The scary part is all of this started with a thought. A thought that I was alone and nobody would care about me. Bear in mind, I was a Christian, but I let the enemy come in through a lie in my thoughts. 
One little thought. One little lie. But I believed the lie. And look what it grew into. I left school early that day. I skipped the rest of my classes. I called into work and made up some random excuse not to show up. I just didn't care. But thank God, something on the inside of me, I know now that it was the Holy Spirit, but something inside me told me to talk to someone and tell them how I was feeling. The one person that I could think of was my pastor at that time. I figured, why not? If he can't help me, then no one else could. So I sat in the school parking lot, and I sent my old pastor a text asking if I could meet with him. He responded almost immediately, but he said he had a full schedule, so maybe we could meet tomorrow. My heart sank. My life was teetering on the edge. I knew what I was going to do that night, but he didn't. So it was either now or never. So I texted him. I have to meet with you today. Please. Miraculously, he cleared his schedule and told me to meet up with him and my old youth pastor at my old church. When I got to the church, I told both of them everything that I was feeling and that I made the decision to kill myself. Both my pastor and my youth pastor looked at me completely shocked. And my pastor said that he never expected this from me. You see, I hid it well. You couldn't tell on the outside what I was going through because I put on this facade that everything was okay. But then my pastor said this, Alicia, you have so many people in your life that love you and would miss you. You matter, and you have a calling and a destiny on your life. At that moment, it was like a light bulb went off in my head because he shed light on an area that I never knew. I never thought that God actually had a plan for me in this life, in this life. The God, the creator of the universe, had a specific destiny for me. My pastor directed me to Jeremiah 29, 11, and I'm sure you all know this verse, but this verse, this is the one that kept me going. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I left that meeting with my pastors still unsure but hopeful that God had a plan for my life that wasn't going to harm me. I began diving into the word of God like never before. And I wasn't just reading the Bible because it was the Christian thing to do. I started reading it to get to know about God more. And the more I learned about God, the more I began to learn about myself. My thoughts changed. My outlook on life changed. My relationship with Jesus completely changed. I started to understand that God didn't just want me to go to heaven when I died. 
He wanted to have a personal relationship with me. The God who created the universe sent his son to die on the cross for me so that he could intimately and personally know me. And he had a plan for my life. So my worth and my value wasn't going to be defined by humans or my circumstances anymore. I let God define my identity. And I let him completely transform me. But where does this all start? It starts in your mind. It starts in your thoughts. If you do not get this thought life in control, you will not go through this life well. Because did my battle with depression and suicidal thoughts stop there? Nope. (laughs) The enemy still tried to do everything he could to derail me and paralyze me. But this time, I learned. The Lord was equipping me through scripture. The Bible teaches us in 2 Corinthians 10.5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What that means is any thought. Any thought that goes against what God says must be completely removed from our thoughts and replaced with what the Bible says. That is why it is so important to read your Bible because you can't replace a bad thought with a God thought if you don't know what to replace it with. But it's not just about the way that you think. It's about what you say. It's about what you speak also. Jesus gave us authority to cast out things in his name. I didn't realize that my negative thoughts opened me up to a spirit of depression because that was just something I had never been taught. But since I let those thoughts dwell in my mind and I came into agreement with those thoughts, I gave those spirits authority to stay in my life. But now, now that I knew that I had to speak and command them to leave, when those thoughts of depression and suicide both tried to come in again, I would immediately start saying and declaring, I command this depression and suicide to leave in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, for giving me a plan and a purpose. I thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could have victory and freedom in you. I believed what I would say, and those thoughts had to leave. But like I said, it was a battle. Because I'm going to be completely honest, Those thoughts tried to come back multiple times. But since I knew who I was in Christ, and I knew what the Bible says about my freedom, those thoughts had to leave, and I didn't let them stay there. Thankfully, to this day, I have been completely set free from anxiety, depression, and suicide. Maybe your situation isn't as traumatic as mine. But if the enemy can get you to agree with one thought, one thought that doesn't agree with what God says about you, then that's all he needs. He planted a bad seed. And we need to uproot that seed. Maybe it's the thought that I'm not worthy 
or that I'm not good enough. Maybe it's the thought that I'm never going to be completely healed. Maybe it's the thought that I'm too old. God probably doesn't have a plan for my life. Maybe it's the thought that I've struggled with this for so long. This is probably how it's always going to be. Those are all lies. And we need to uproot and expose those lies. God wants to set us free from the thoughts within us that don't line up with what the Bible says. And if there's anything in me, anything in me that doesn't look like Jesus, especially in my thought life, then I don't want it in me. A couple of weeks ago, Kirk talked about repentance. And it's not in the way of repent or burn. Repentance is changing the way you think and the way you position yourself. Making a 180 degree turn towards what God says and not what our human minds say. And that's what we're going to do today. Today is a day of exposure and intervention. The anointing will break and destroy every yoke of bondage. Alan talked about yokes. We need to be yoked to Jesus. The yoke is easy. The burden is light. But the enemy yokes us. He fastens things on us that God doesn't want there. She had to go to her pastor. She exposed the lie. That was an intervention day. She had to battle after that, but things started that day. If you battled with any thought, any thought that she named, any thought that Alan named, Alan had to unfasten a thought the minute he walked up here. Kirk preached, and within minutes, within seconds, Alan had to unfasten a thought, or that thought would affect him. And so right now, there are thoughts that are trying and have tried, and maybe for a long time, have affected you. Every root that gets exposed to the light, it, it dies if you expose it. If you keep it hidden and underground, it lives. If you need prayer in this area, stand to your feet with me.